Hi, everybody. I'm Marv Albert. My name is Michael Jordan. I'm Xavier McDaniel, the Seattle Supersonics. Hey, I'm John Spider Sally, the Detroit Pistons. Hey, this is Rick Mahorn. I'm a bad boy for life. Now, if you're not on the Pick and Roll podcast, I'm going to come out there looking for you because you know what? Bad boys like to be listened to on the podcast. Pick and roll, baby. Pick and roll. But I'm not picking. I ain't even rolling. That just said tremendous upside with this young man. We're back on a uh, cloudy afternoon in the Steel City on the Pick and Roll podcast. With us all the way from, I believe, Ithaca, is it? In New York? Ithaca, New York. Yeah, central, central New York. So, um, uh, is Pete Croato. Uh, you might know him from, um, if you're a basketball fan, I'm sure you will, from articles in Slam Magazine, Hoop Magazine, uh, the old Grantland website, I believe, as well, Pete. And, yeah, um, RIP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was one of our favourites. Um, and the author of a book, which he was kind enough to share with us, um, From Hang Time to Prime Time, Entertainment Business and the Birth of the Modern Day MBA. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. The only thing I know about Ithaca is, uh, I'm sure it was a Seinfeld episode where Jerry ends up stranded there or something. Uh, I'm trying Seinfeld. to. Oh, is that was that the Bubble Boy episode? Uh, no, I believe it was the pilot. Episode. Oh, what, what episode was it? Oh, yeah, I think he. I think he. Yeah, that's with. Um, yeah, with the pilot, and he. Yeah, the and uh, his publicist reams the pilot out, and then. Yeah, they have to take that. They have to. It's also the. Is that the episode where where uh, Kramer is uh, having bets on the plane landing? Uh, yeah, it may well be that one. And I know there's an airport involved. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, Ithaca. Ithaca does have an airport. It's a very small airport, but it's an airport <laughs> just the same. Actually, Ithaca is probably best known uh, for being the home of Cornell University uh, and Ithaca College. Uh, the latter is where my wife teaches. She's a piano professor there. Uh, but we also it's it's also uh, known for its gorges or waterfalls. Um, so it's it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. Um, we've been here for six years now. So yeah, uh, but it's funny. I'm a Seinfeld fanatic, and I completely forgot the um, <laughs> the Ithaca the Ithaca connection with the show. So uh, point out it's, for me when me and Gavin shared a house together. I used to make him sit for hours watching it. And yeah. he wasn't as big as fan as I was. It's, so, uh, yeah, it's all blurred. Got for, forced upon him. It's all blurred into <laughs> one of it. But uh, anything I know about Ithaca, it's where Homer needed to get. I mean, uh, it's where Odysseus needed to get back to. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it's funny, but there isn't it's funny, there isn't a lot of that referenced, I think, in in the town. I mean, the town yeah. has its has its own has its own vibe, but there isn't there I don't there isn't really the nod to um to that ep to that epic. Uh yeah. but of course I'm not as well read as you guys are, so I probably have <laughs> missed it in numerous references as I've walked through the city over the past six years. So <laughs> My brother-in-law actually lives in a place called Bearsville, which is near Woodstock, I believe. Not a million miles away from you, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's more. Yeah, Woodstock's more up upstate, so I yeah, guess yeah. it's probably about four hours or so. I mean, what I know about Woodstock is that for, that's where Phil Jackson used to live, or he was in that area, I think. And Charlie Rosen, who's you know been involved in basketball circles for years, I think either lived lives near Woodstock or lived in Woodstock. So yeah, there's some there's a bit of basketball history there. Not not a ton, but some. Yeah, you must have done a ton of these uh, sort of podcasts now uh, for the book, which has been out a while. Um, yeah, is this the first one you've done with people outside the states, or have you done? No, believe it or not, I did. A, no. <laughs> Is England another world? Um, no, I have done podcasts 
I did a podcast with someone who has a um, someone from uh, England. I don't know whereabouts, so I don't want to just say you know. Was there anyone? Was there any other podcast that was international? I probably did a podcast one in Canada, but that's about it. I really haven't gone very. You know, I'm not an international man of mystery, so it's um, it's 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 uh, fitting that my podcast have been mostly in the states. So I am open to. Uh, inter- an international clientele so if there's any inter- other international podcasts i am i'm i'm willing and able but yeah i think i think you, you guys are probably the second or third one that i've done that's not based in the u.s yeah it's a great book thanks for sharing it i uh, oh, my pleasure I, I, I delayed sort of reading it because uh, i was on holiday uh, on vacation if you will uh last mm-hmm. week so i kind of saved it up because i really Ooh. wanted to get stuck into it so uh, <laughs> yeah it was a good poolside read um Thank I you. I read a book called The Cat by Joshua Mendelssohn earlier in the year. I don't know if you're aware yes. of that book, which um, kind of touches on a lot of the subjects uh, that you do mm-hmm. in your book. But um, yours really sort of rammed home the sort of entertainment side of the NBA and stuff and the sort of the, the pop culture and the music reference and really tied all that together, which Thank was uh, right up mine and Gavin's alley as sort of yes. two guys mm-hmm. in our mid 40s who grew up <laughs> on sort of the NBA and hip hop in the 90s. So uh, yeah. it was right in our wheelhouse, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm 44, so that that book was that, that that's so. Yeah, I mean, this is. I think we're we're all in the same neighborhood. Um, I haven't read Josh's book yet. I've heard it's great. I it's just um, I've been kind of on a basketball sabbatical, a basketball book sabbatical, um, for for a while now. Not because n- not out of any um, not uh, not because I've read everything. I certainly haven't, but just that after after spending you know 18 months reading and researching. Uh, and reading, I think, 30 basketball books, some of which are behind me here, I just needed a break. So I think the oh, next... Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I think the next book I'll probably read is, I have a few that I bought, but I'm probably going to read Miriam Fader's book on, on Giannis, um, which just came out and it's supposed to be terrific. So, but yeah, part of it, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you work at the ice cream factory, you know, the last thing you want to do when you get home is like have an ice cream sundae. So I'm, I'm almost... I'm almost, I'm almost um, Oh, you know what I, I just read? I'm, I, I'm, I'm blabbing on, but Lee Monfield's book on the 1969 NBA Finals, um, Tall Men, Short Shorts. I just, I just read that, and that was really good. And that was, um, you know, that was that kind of touches upon the NBA at its earlier goosey goosey stage. That was real. That's a really good read. Um, but Mirren's is probably the next book I'll read after I read. Um, I'm reading Elvis Costello's autobiography now, which is quite good. So I'm. Um, after I finish uh, Elvis, I'll probably move on to. Uh, to Marin's book or who knows I mean I, I read based on mood so it's um, we'll see how I feel yeah what made you want to write this book oh wow that's a good question I guess you know what it is I kind of it's funny I don't know how many books you guys have read but I've read you know, a lot of basketball books and it read about the NBA's past especially books about magic and Larry and Michael Jordan you know there's always a reference to, like the NBA's dark days or oh the NBA finals are on tape delay and but there really wasn't I mean, in the, there really wasn't a book that I found that kind of like really honed in on that era, on like the late 70s, early 80s. You know, it, you know, w- when you read books about Magic and Michael and Larry and all those sort of, you know, modern day superstars, the MB- that time of the NBA is always sort of mentioned in passing. And I wanted to really talk about, um, about, about the time that, you know, that happened before I was a basketball fan. You know, I got into basketball or the NBA, I should say, when I was 13, so 1990. And at that time, you know, that's when jo- Michael Jordan was a big, was a name. He was a brand. That's when basketball games were easy to find, you know, and here in the States, uh, NBC had just started with its basketball coverage and it was relentless. 
Um, so I really wanted to write about the time that, that before I was a basketball fan and about the things that made me a basketball fan. So it just seemed like a, like a perfect confluence of factors. And much to my surprise, there really wasn't a book out there that kind of touched upon those subjects. So that's, that's the book I wanted to write about, uh, or I wanted to write, I should say. And, you know, knock on wood, it worked out that way. No, I mean, we, I don't know if you, we have a, like a YouTube channel where we sort of post the old, old games, you know, from the mm-hmm. 80s right up to modern day and stuff. And just through the course of sifting through old games and stuff, I got really nerdy about sort of the coverage and what stations were, were on mm-hmm. and the commentators and stuff. And your, your book really touches on that, like starting with sort of the NBA on CBS, I guess. Yeah. Which, uh, sort of when we were first sort of introduced to basketball in the UK, um, there was like a weekly show on the BBC, which mm-hmm. they'd show like games from like, you know, maybe a week before, yeah. you know, you know, the playoffs and stuff. And that was kind of our first introduction to sort of the NBA was kind of, you know, CBS and uh, stalling for his name, Brent Musburger. Um, yeah. Uh, no guys. Um, but the coverage wasn't great, was it? Like you say in your book, um, you know, they had, they'd have like Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson. And stuff yeah. And it wasn't, wasn't the best sort of. No, it really US wasn't. Like, commentary wise. Yeah, in the seventies, like in the seventies, like the early eighties. If you and I'm, I'm like you, I I tend to like go to you up. I was going to YouTube and looking, like and going through old clips, like going to channels like, um, oh man, like I'm trying to think, uh, like Lamar Maddock and and um, trying to think who else. I mean, there's so many, so many people that just sort of sift through old footage and yeah. and and sort of you know resurrect um, cl- you know highlights that I thought were de- dead and buried. But it's so funny to, to listen to to see the, the the coverage of a game from like 1976 or 1977. Like the introduction, there's no flash to it. You know, there's the camera angle is the camera angles are very um, staid and and don't really aren't very aren't very theatrical or or based on um, pacing. It's just very much like here's a medium shot, here's a player. Like maybe you get a, a, a close up after a player has a jump shot. But when you move into the 1980s, um, 82, 83, when, you know, Musburger's team with, with um, you know, Tommy Heinsohn and Pat O'Brien takes over the halftime report, it really does, it really, though, that coverage is really geared more toward entertainment. Mm-hmm. And it was by design because, yeah, you know, yeah. I think because, you know, David Stern and uh, Ted Shaker, who was the executive producer of the NBA and CBS, they really were on the same wavelength in terms of making the games into into fun, into the, yeah. you know, fun for the casual fan. And that's something that, you know, if you look at the night, if you look at a, a NBA footage from like 1977, 78, so forth and so on, the games are really geared toward if you're a true blue basketball fan, like if you just mm-hmm. want to watch the game um, and kill time and that wasn't going to cut it anymore. You know, maybe baseball could get away with that. Maybe um, football in the States could get away with that. Um, but, you know, but the NBA couldn't and that change in coverage um, as you um, alluded to, was absolutely crucial um, because you know it, it had to. It had. It couldn't be. It couldn't be a, a, a. The sport couldn't be televised just for like the true blue basketball fan. It had to be for everybody, and that's how you, because that's how you get new fans. Yeah, along with those sort of early games, because there was so little basketball on yeah. sort of in the UK when we, when we were teenagers. Um, the um, like you mentioned in the book, the the VHS tapes became sort of legendary. You know mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I know for Gavin, yeah. uh, like myself, that was that was really our entry point into sort of seeing Mike Jordan and Daryl Dawkins and all these characters was mm-hmm. and that was a big part of sort of 
David Sturm. There was sometimes they were the only times you would see players in action because yeah, yeah, unless yeah, at that point, uh, certainly for a few years here in the UK around 1990, mm-hmm. the one we would get one game on satellite TV. Yeah, was prohibitively expensive anyway at the time. I was looking sure for my dad had it, and uh, it was whoever the Bulls were playing. Right. It was the Bulls versus whoever, and that's that's yeah. all you ever got to see, basically. So, yeah. particularly West Coast teams seemed so much further away because yeah. of that. And uh, yeah, so- absolutely. No, I mean it was you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because the the tapes were how I got into the NBA, I, and for me it was uh, Dazzling Dunks and Basketball Bloopers. Sure, yeah. That was yep. that was the, oh, I think man. for a lot of kids our a lot of kids our age at that time that was like the gateway drug. And then there was another video, it was Super Slams of the NBA. Yeah. That was another video, like around, I guess, 1991. And those are the two videos that got me really excited. And there was also an, I think, an NBA, oh, what year was it? Probably the, like the history of the NBA, uh, there was a history of the NBA video that was hosted, I think, with Pat Riley and Bob Cousy that kind of like started to wet my whistle. And that was the idea of those tapes. Like those tapes were just sort of recruitment tools for mm-hmm. folks like us. And you're right too, Gavin, because like, you know, and, and this is mentioned in the book, you know, Dave Zirin, who just has, it was a book out now about Colin, Colin Kaepernick. For him as a kid growing up in New York City, like those NBA videos that came out every year, those year-end roundups, like that's how he got, that's how he was able to see guys like Reggie Theus mm-hmm. and I don't know, maybe Otis Thorpe and Michael Thompson, like these West Coast players. Um, you know, and again, like we, you know, we were 3000 miles away, but those players at the time were exotic. Like you never really yeah, got yeah. to see, yeah. the, you know, players from the West coast, because again, you know, maybe for, for me, you got what was, whatever's on NBC or C or CBS, you had what was on your regional sports network, which in my case is MSG network, which Marv Albert, which is behind you guys is, was, <laughs> you know, a critical part of that coverage. And, um, and, and maybe, you know, and you, so yeah, you get those two and that was really about it. And those, so those videos were hugely important because they kind of tied, they tied you over and they, 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 they exposed you to players that you didn't really get a chance to see on, on the regular. Yeah. It wasn't until I read your book. I really, until I realized um, how big they were outside of sort of the rest of the world and say, I thought it was kind of like a European Australian uh, thing and they were marketed towards sort of growing the game internationally. I didn't realize they were they were so big in your country, you know, which yeah, I find that oh, quite the, surprising. Yeah. Oh, the tapes were huge. I mean, yeah, if you yeah. and if you look at the if you look at the the sales figures, especially for the Michael Jordan tapes, like they're bonkers. And it's also perfect. It's also perfect for a kid because you know it, it might be hard for even harder harder even now. Pardon me, but for a 10, 11 year old, twelve year old kid it's hard for them to watch a two and a half hour basketball game, especially if Michael Jordan is only going to be involved in a sliver of the action. But if you, but if you have a Michael, but if you have a a, a team that's just Michael Jordan highlights, like that's manna, like that's something that that kid is going to like savor. And and, and especially, you know, even now. So yeah, those those tapes were were huge because you got, you got to see your favorite player was on, was on display. Like the good stuff was on display. So you didn't have to sit through a halftime report. You didn't have to sit through, you know, pregame, postgame. You could just watch, you know, the best parts. And, and that was the drug. That was sort of that, that taste that made you watch, made you want to watch, you know, the game that was on Sunday afternoon or, you know, whatever was on your local TV, uh, TV dial. Yeah. David Stern really understood that, didn't he? I think that along oh, yeah. with sort of 
the NBA action sort of packages, which we, you know, we got weekly here and stuff. And uh, I remember NBA action. That was yeah. great. Oh. I used to love NBA action. When that I was, was the kid. highlight of the week, you know, yeah, for us. Friday nights. Oh. Um, oh, Friday nights. Yeah, I, it was always yeah, sort of. Yeah, like we have Friday week. nights. Yeah. Yeah, it was for me. I'm trying to remember when NBA action was on. It was sort of like I was sort of the, I was at the mercy of whatever cable channel it was on, and it never seemed to be on at the same time. So it was like you know yeah. maybe three o'clock on a Thursday, and then next week it'd be on like two o'clock on a Monday. So yeah, I but I loved NBA action. That was that was I, oh, that was a great show when I was a kid. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's it's but you're right. He David Stern understood you know understood the marketing value of of giving of giving I think kids and you know just audiences what they want. So like if you wanted a, a Charles Barkley tape, okay, well here's a Charles Barkley tape. Mm-hmm. Or you know if you want or you know if if you if if you're interested in the like let's say the the Bucks versus the um, the Celtics, like they're going to highlight Sidney Moncrief or Larry Bird or the stars because that's that's how you get that's that's how you get again the casual fan, the new fan, the fan who doesn't really maybe know the ins and outs of the game. Like that's how you're going to attract them. Because again, look, I think the breed of what David Stern realized is that I think he knew that the fan the the basketball fans are going to stay no matter what. I think the game. And again, even now, the game may change and the game may have an may emphasize different points of play, but the game is the game. You know, the goal is still to get the ball in the hoop. But for a young fan who's just getting into this or a new fan who's just getting into the game, like you want stars, you want to be you want you want to be thrilled. And what better way to do that than to have a tape or a highlight package at your ready? And NBA action was, just, was part of that, too. Yeah, I, I loved NBA action when I was a yeah. kid. Loved it. Gav was a big Sonics fan because of seeing Sean Kemp, you know, don't, in the top 10 every week. And it took us like 20 years to find the Sean Kemp VHS tape. It was like yeah. the white whale. We could never find it. Yeah. <laughs> why why, why was it so hard to find? Why was it so hard to find the, the, the Sean Kemp tape? I don't, they, they probably get like one or two copies of these sort of VHSs in your local store. So if you weren't there, the date came in, you, you know, you're out and they'd never order it again. So it was. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, sh- charge people to come and watch the video, the VHSs at your house, you know. Oh, uh, I mean, sh- it's, it's funny that with Sean Kemp I mean he um he was he was another guy because he was on the west coast yeah in, in the early days where he was almost like he was almost like this exotic treat it's like have you heard about Sean Kemp like he dunked over three guys or and then you know when tv came along like forget it or like or when the tv coverage got better forget it I think he would I think Sean Kemp now if he came out in the internet age he'd probably be he'd, he'd be like he'd be all over like, you, you, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so um, biggest selling shoe the, yeah, yeah yeah he'd be huge and now he's now he's uh now he runs a, a, a marijuana dispensary i think in seattle so <laughs> yeah but that's what, like you said Gag, you that was like exotic to you i think that's what yeah yeah sort of the sonics and stuff because you, you, yeah. we never saw teams like that did we yeah. no no i think i've been yeah. watching basketball for like five or six years before i actually saw ron harper play you know because he was on the clippers <laughs> yeah like Danny Manning. When, when was yeah. i ever gonna i didn't see Danny manning play no. until he got trained but that was months. but that was the thing too like for for like and now is the problem with with sort of the star system here in the U.S. and and I, I, it was probably tenfold in, um, in in overseas. Was that like if you if you wanted to watch like a great player, like, a, like I don't know if Danny Manning was, a, but a good player, a player that you'd read about, like Danny Manning yeah. or Ron Harper or Mitch Richmond, you really weren't going to watch them because like, they're on crappy teams. 
Like, yeah. I mean, Harper for, you know, Harper's best year, well, some of his best years with the Clippers, Manning with the Clippers. So that was the other problem too, is like, you know, if you want, if you wanted to watch Mitch Richmond, you probably weren't going to see him because he was on shitty teams in Sacramento. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's better now with satellite, NBA, NBA TV and whatnot. So. I'm always curious. Cause I, I, I think there's a, Basketball's a curious sport coming from, say, like an English person's perspective. Mm-hmm. We're just watching Test Match Cricket, which is the diametric opposite, like the opposite end of the scale to the NBA basketball. Yeah. Do you think that Stern's genius is was liberating basketball from the notion of sporting tradition and it becoming spectacle, which is different from sport in the pure, like you say, you you can't yeah. mess with baseball. The idea yeah. of somebody suggesting mm-hmm. cutting a baseball game to eight in in so we can all get that <laughs> earlier or we can make it more predictable. It, it's, it's a non-starter, but yeah. we still regularly hear talk about how can we get basketball to be a, a neat two-hour experience. Kind of, like the game is like permeable in a way that other sports just aren't. You're absolutely I mean, right. I, I think You're ab- Stern's legacy. You're absolutely right. That the 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 biggest thing that I got I got to write in this book and it's it can be distilled down to it can be distilled to one quote it was from Joe Cohen who was a, a cable tv executive he also founded MSG network he said that the nba's tradition is that it has no tradition yeah and that to me encapsulates everything that that is right and i guess in a way wrong about the nba if if you're like for example um, the fact that the game is so malleable as i said gavin the fact that it does it's not it, it's not there isn't like a book of baseball. Like there's a book of unwritten rules in other sports. That is what keeps the game fresh and keeps it, I think, appealing to ge- generations, you yeah. know, because the game isn't rooted in these fundamental rules that are immutable and we can't, we can't mess with them because, oh, the, 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 the basketball gods will be furious. There's no such thing. But the, the, the flip side of that coin is that if you're someone like me or someone who's older who grew up with a certain style of basketball, you might be a little miffed that well, why are they taking so many three pointers? Like back in my day, there was more, there was more post play and that was enjoyable. And I like that. Now it's different. So that's the flip side of it. Like it's always going to be appealing and it's the bad, the NBA part of me, it's always going to be relevant. It's always going to be appealing because it doesn't change, but it's also, but it's, but there's also going to be hard to find tradition because, because of that. And if yeah. you're, if you're someone who likes tradition and likes, things to likes things to be a certain way the nba may not be may not be for you and and i've noticed it on twitter where you have you know an increasing increasing number of cranky old people or cranky people like you know like oh the game's not the way it used to be they take too many threes there's too much this there's too much that well it's by design um but and you're right though the nba is all about is, is really all about spectacle and i think that that will that does rankle a lot of people who grew up watching the game in the 60s, 70s, even to the 80s, where, you know, things were done a certain way and it was about the game. And now really the game is part of a larger entertainment um, package. And again, it's by design, you know, David Stern, and I mentioned this in the book, wanted the NBA to be the Disney of sports. That was his goal. He he was interested in, in, in making the NBA into an entertainment company. Yeah. And when you do that, when you have that mindset, that is based on being on change. Like, it, you know, if you think of any entertainment company, any, 
any anything based in entertainment, they are not. They are entertainment is always changing. If, if, if you know movies are changing, we watch movies are changing. Television shows the way they're set up, everything everything in entertainment is super duper malleable. If that if that weren't the case, we'd still you know we'd still have black and white movie pictures, and we'd still play you know Rudy Valley albums on 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 a you know on the record player. So yeah, it, it's that you know so that's absolutely about design. You're absolutely right. The NBA is really about being it's really about entertainment and when you have that as your mantra tradition is going to fall by the wayside so. yeah you mentioned in the book about when uh, the old pistons arena opened in the early 90s the palace yeah. and there's a quote in there saying you know we're in the entertainment business mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and we're in the basketball business and you know it, right it was built by marketing people it wasn't yeah by, you know sports people and david stern you know, you urged every other team, you go and get an arena like this. This is what you know I want the league to be about. And yeah, he was a marketing genius, to be honest. I mean, he really was. I mean, I yeah. think that was I think that's why David Stern is probably in my opinion is the best sports commissioner of all time. Mm. Um, I mean, I, again, I mean in America, uh, I'm I'm sure there's someone abroad, and you you two can probably no, attest to that. No, no? really? No, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, they're all they're all far. Far more jaded and corrupt. Uh, <laughs> sports been going on too long and is too tied into colonialism in lots of cases for it to. Be yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, I get democracy is a different monster over here. I guess <laughs> I guess that it bleeds into business differently. Um, no, I think David Stern is the you know again from my money he's the best sports commissioner of all time. And you you know yeah you guys read the book. I mean that was his again like the the pals at Auburn Hills. That and that's what and that's what's so funny about the entertainment part of it is that. Back in 1988, 89, like that was a big deal. Like, oh, we have, you can get pizza and, and like different beers and wines. Now that's that's normal. And yeah, now yeah. the House of Auburn Hills, it, it was bulldozed like last yeah. year. It, it's, and, but again, it's, you know, and that's, that's the fun, that's the part of it that's fascinating is that, you know, what was cutting edge even 10 years ago is now like, eh, you know, that doesn't really matter. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, but that was the model for, I think the modern NBA arena was was Palace at Auburn Hills because you make it for, it's about the fan experience, but also for the fan that isn't really a basketball fan. Like mm-hmm. you're not gonna, you know, again, like I know there are diff- there are arenas that have, um, in all sports that are, um, that are throwbacks that are about the tradition of the sport. And with the NBA, like that, that is that isn't really. I think most sports are like that now, where it's not about okay, well, this park was built in 1915, and it's it's yeah, it's not like that, baseball, is it? No, no, no. And with the NBA, it's in football, especially. I'm sorry, Harvard. Left. Yeah, I yeah. mean, even MSG, the, the concourse is a. Actually, yeah, it's not about basketball. It's, it's about looking about at Hulk Hogan's and... trunks yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> WrestleMania. Yeah, but but that I would say though, having been to a few, that MSG does actually for that reason for the for the age of the architecture, that roof inside the arena, that does present a very different fan going experience because it does. It's the only thing that does tie to something that isn't beers in buckets. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and things like that. But there are accents. There, it's an accent and the yeah. same the same thing like if you go whatever the boston celtics new arena is called the tdm whatever yeah like the parquet floor is like part of that yeah, yeah like yeah, that's yeah. you know it's but it, but you know but again like it, it's you're, you're not gonna I, I, the days of, of an arena hanging around for like 80 years 
I mean, that's 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 not going to happen. I mean, it's you're already seeing that. Like, I mean, the Palace at Auburn Hills, the Atlanta Dome uh, in Atlanta, in Atlanta, the Falcons. When that came out, that was such a big deal mm-hmm. um, for the the NFL's team. And you know, now it's like now it's like it's like a parking lot. It's yeah. it's progress is a funny thing. I mean, it, it's you know, and but I mean, it's amazing that we're still you know owners are still are still getting people to pay for this for, for these monstrosities it's, it's that's, incredible. that's staggering as, as yeah the outside <laughs> that you can yeah they can pay for my public money yeah ta- that, that that's is, what i never fails to gobsmoke me it ne- it's, it's amazing to me like i've never been in that situation because ithaca like is not going to have a, a sports team anytime <laughs> soon but like i i find it amazing when you know you have again billionaires you know or, you know or, or you have billion dollar multi-billion dollar franchises that own these teams and they need tax they need taxpayer money for this it's, well, it's Milwaukee it, didn't they big time yeah every every city does i mean I, but sports and that shows you how how valuable sports are to the to the fabric of a, of a town and to a town's experience i mean i yeah i i don't get it either it's amazing that this we're still we're still this is still part of the way things are but here we are it's, hey. it's one of those amazing things from the outside from the outside that uh as a non-American, that, that looks a lot like communism to me. <laughs> you know I mean? That looks a lot like, that sounds and looks a lot like communism to me. Yeah, it, it's, it, but you know what, sport in, in America, sports are a weird thing. Mm-hmm. They are, a, I mean, it draw. I mean, sports are really, a, are really kind of the fabric of conversation here. And it's, it's also, it's 24, it's 24, it's, it's, all year round there's something happening and i think sports sports is also a really great way to get into um other facets of society and i think that's kind of that's that's but it's it's a but you're right like it's i i can't imagine in any other line of um business for if you mention that like oh yeah we're building like i don't know like if some private business owner says yeah i'm building i don't know a, a a business park for you know my you know, that, that would never fly, but it flies with sports because sports are com- are community event and they're a communal event. So I think there's there's it's easy to it's easier to get behind that than with other um, than uh, other uh, uh, endeavors. Yeah. So. It's always strikes me as strange because um, it is. For example, Tottenham Hotspur has uh, they've just built a new stadium. It's mm-hmm. cost hundreds of millions of pounds, but on yeah. top of that, in order to get planning permission, they've had to spend hundreds of millions of pounds on the surrounding neighborhood, like the yep. exact opposite. Like the tube stations, streets need widening to accommodate all the traffic, the extra like human traffic to that particular spot. It's the exact opposite. At, at this it's site. crazy. That's, it's crazy. Me. It's yeah. crazy. But, but, but I mean, that's why I never understand when people, you know, kind of uh, poo poo sports books or sports, you know, any, because I'm because my thought is like you know it, it sports affect every part, but they 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 do they do affect I think our lives to a certain extent, but they're also they also bleed into so many other cat uh, topics and interests. I, you know I don't know it, the it's, NBA I, is I, I think that's what we oh, yeah. fascinate about the NBA because this yeah there's so mm. many much other stuff going on apart from the bouncing of the ball you know it's uh it's it's a very the people involved and the owners mm-hmm. and, the, and david stern and you know, think, the, the, yeah. there's, there's so many different layers of interesting things about the nba i think that's i think, that's think why fundamentally we... that um 
all sports, regardless of the sport, and you choose your own particular flavor. But one of the things mm -hmm. is sports are a vehicle for society to keep a cap on a lot of the more unsavory stuff, which would naturally come out if left yeah. idle. And you can mm -hmm. see, and I think that's proven by the time any team has a close one, that there's a, it's a way for people to invest into a perceived conflict, to have a side. We mm -hmm. also, sports have rules in a world which is often devoid of justice and clear rules. We can, we can latch and lose ourselves in a world where right is right and wrong is punished accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. We can see the heroes come through. Yeah. And but, I, I think yeah. that's, that's the true value. And if people oh. really know that, it's... Well, there, it, it's that. It, it's, it's Roman's throwing games, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, no, it's, 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 it's all, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's an order to it. And I think for me, is, you know, especially as I read, as, a, as someone who consumes the news, much to my, um, much to my ever-growing chagrin, sports are, <laughs> sports are an escape. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, sport, I mean, for me, you know, it's, it, is a, it is a treat to be able to just sit, like, after, a, after you know, a long day of being a parent and a husband and, and, and you know, uh, I guess a small business owner as a freelance writer. It, it's, it's wonderful just to be able to sit down and just get lost in a game. Um, and I think for those two reasons, for, for, for the escapism part of it, and as you mentioned, Gavin, the rules of it, the, the fact that it's orderly, Pardon me. I think that's why people get get their um, get in a twist when the players start like commenting on things that are happening to them as you know as men and women in the society, whether yeah, it's yeah. Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ, right? Like because people are going, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, that's I, I want the order. I want the yeah, game. Yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I want yeah. and I and so yeah. But I but I I but you can't have it both ways. Well, it's like, that contradiction, you, isn't it? People always yeah. keep keep politics out of sport yet sport by its very nature is the yes. most political thing in it absolutely of like it's, yeah <laughs> lots That's of teams are formed on political lines like absolutely and the owners are political too like you know <laughs> the owners donate to different politicians and they have their causes and you know come on i i i, I don't know to me it, you have the beauty of sports for me is being able to compartmentalize there we go you know, this, that, and the other thing. Like, I can enjoy watching a game, but I can also realize that a basketball game, but I can also realize that, you know what? 85% of the, of, the, of the players in this sport that I like are African-American, and, and they have concerns that are, that are relevant to them that I don't have watching in my living room as a, as a white person. Mm -hmm. So it's, so that's, so the beauty of sports is, is I think, is, is, is that, is that, is that you can, is that, is that it allows you to be empathetic. Of course, if you look at the players, if you look at the at at, at athletes as cy as cyborgs that can put a ball through a hoop or kick a ball very far, you're defeating that purpose. But I do think that that you that sports have, have allowed me, and I think allowed millions of other people, a window into the lives of of, of others and into into um, into news and into. Um, situations that you know maybe we wouldn't have realized if we had you know just not you know opened our eyes so it's 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 a good thing but yeah i don't understand the people that just that don't want like you know peanut butter in their chocolate it's like well it's 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 kind of the way that it works and i think that's your i think you're a better person if you have an interest and you can see what's what's outside the game 
And I think the book, you know, the, I kind of want to do that with the book a little bit was just to show that, you know, this isn't just, you know, a ball going through a hoop. There are other factors involved that touch upon the game that you've enjoyed for however many years. The All-Star Game was um, a great idea sort of to spread this sort of game around the world. Um, mm-hmm. I know I mean, we, we don't watch it nowadays, do we? But uh, as, well, a, as a teenager, I, I mean, it's kind of geared towards kids, but yeah, they were very smart in how they sort of used that with the dunk contest mm-hmm. um, to sort of push the stars and the, and, and the individuals and stuff. And that was, it was a big thing, wasn't it? In the sort of late 80s, early 90s, um, the All-Star Weekend, it was really... Mm-hmm sort of one of the highlights of the season, really, uh, as, a, as an overseas viewer, if you will. It was, it was one of the mm. actual few games you'd actually sort of, you know, what get and watch. Uh, really. Again, it was the only time. Yeah. It was the first time I saw Kevin Willis <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, if you know, yeah. Like, Again, yeah, it was the only time those stars that you hear of, that yeah. you would hear of. It was mm-hmm. one of the few opportunities to see that. No, then, yeah, that, must, that must have, yeah, that must have been a treat to you. Did you see? Were you able to see everything, like the three-point contest, the dunk contest, all yeah, those, all that stuff? They'd usually show the highlights. They'd usually they? show the highlights yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah like sort yeah. of build up to the game. They make a whole sort of Sunday evening package of yeah. the of the yeah. All Star. Yeah, fair. I remember no. the first one was the, the my first one was the Magic Johnson. Yeah, ninety two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the first one I watched. Yeah. Yeah, well, going back, the... you, you get the on the uh, dazzling dunks tapes. They, they, you know, they'd show the old sort of dunk contests and stuff, wouldn't they? Yeah, and, uh, you know, we <laughs> we were still watching them in our mid twenties. Yeah, we were getting from the pub, <laughs> and you know, the, the old tape wrong, and Kelly. stuff, and you know, Kenny Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know. Uh, oh, Kenny Skywalker. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, you know, and that stuff is all on YouTube now. And yeah. I and and one of the fun, one of the great parts about the about research of the book was just using going back to YouTube as an excuse to watch like, you know, to watch like, I don't know, superstars and, yeah. you know, and dancing dunks and basketball blue. Yeah. I, I kind of wish I, I, I had been a basketball fan in like 84, 85. Cause that's when the dunk contest, I think was at its peak. And now it's just, I don't know. It just, it goes on longer than gone with the wind. Like the dunk contest oh, goes yeah. on it's, and on and on. It's unwatchable at times. Yeah. It's- yeah. Um, but the all-star game. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such a, that really was it was i mean it was it was valuable for for folk for i think for again the casual fan like myself in the 90s you guys but really what the all-star game represented was it was just such a, a great business opportunity for the nba because they could show it was an ability to showcase like what the best of the league and it was a chance to impress their advertisers and co- a corollary of that was their advertisers could then use the all-star game as a way to entice their clients so it, it kind of it really worked very well. It really worked. It was really a beautiful piece of marketing, entertainment, business strategy. Um, and, and again, that was by design. Like nothing with the NBA was accidental. Yeah. Which I think is I think 
like, yeah, there's some, there's some luck involved, of course. Um, and there is some good fortune, but the, the mechan the NBA's mechan you know, the, the mechanism, of the NBA, the international reach, the all-star game um, packaging, that's, that, I mean, that's all by design. And yeah. the appeal of the NBA is from a corporate standpoint was, I didn't put this in the book, but Arlene Weltman, who was with the NBA for a number of years, she mentioned that when all, when, when all-star game tickets were available to NBA, NBA employees, it was like, it was like um, battle Royale to make to, to, about who would get them mm. because they were such a, they were such in demand tickets for, for, for the, for, 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 for business people. So, you know, and it makes you look good if you can give two tickets to, you know, I don't know, uh, Spalding or uh, Pepsi or whomever. So, yeah, the NBA, that, so that was the NBA All-Star game was such a bit, was such a big deal at that time for the NBA, though. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the appeal, if the same appeal is there now, it's still their showcase weekend, but I, I don't, I, but I mean, I don't know if it has the same um, fever pitch that it had. Uh, yeah, it's back in the day. I, I think interesting. One of the things is harking back to what we talked about with that removal and being so malleable is like the mm -hmm. extreme of it is the dunk contest. Yeah, like th they don't know what it is. They change the format every year. Yeah, so to the point where now yeah. it's basically meaningless because you you can't compare it to anything. It's not. It, it's just you're right. Time. Yeah. It's this new singular. When you compare that to a three point contest, which up until money balls and special racks and four point yeah. balls and things you could compare somebody from a, a, a run in like 89 you could compare craig hodges to mm -hmm. somebody winning it in right seven but now they're separating from that and i think that's part of the problem with it like it it's just become meaningless because of that yeah i think the other problem too is that the nba is that the same dunk contest doesn't have any stars anymore yeah yeah you know back in the day in the 80s say back in the day like it was like nine thousand years ago but in the 80s you had dominique wilkins you had clyde drexler you had michael jordan you had you had stars now with the same dunk contest i mean when i watch it i don't it's it's like bench guys and you know maybe maybe players that are not you know maybe second tier yeah, yeah. so it so the the uh, so there isn't the marquee value um, the, the, sorry, the contest doesn't have the marquee value that it once has. Conversely, the three-point contest is full of stars, or seems like it's more full of stars. And it's also that's where the game is headed. You know, the three-point, the three-pointer has really increased in value over the past 10 to 15 years. And, and, and that's where the stars are. So like you can see you can see Steph Curry and Clay Thompson face off. Like yeah. that's a that that's a bigger deal. But yeah, I mean, I think it, as time goes on, the players are gonna become less interested in that because you know, I think. You know, the all-star game weekend for them is like time off. It's a way to just sort of kick back, hang out with their hang out with their friends, go to parties that are hosted by, you know, rappers and you know, Kenny Smith and all those guys. So yeah, it, it's but you're right though. Like I'd love to see there be a history with the slam dunk contest and with a three-point contest, but it's so hard now because the players that are that are participating, especially in the slam dunk slam dunk contest, pardon me, they're they're not they're not players that are building a legend, you know, it, it back in the eighties, that was the case. Now, I don't know. I mean, I can't even tell you who won the last slam dunk contest. <laughs> I can't, I can't yeah. remember either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, you can make up a name. I'd be like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you say the NBA doesn't 
didn't do anything by accident. Um, there's, a, there's a great quote in the book about the um, sort of 92 Olympics in Barcelona um, about, you know, David Stern, he didn't want the NBA players to be in it, you know, for any kind of American pride. He wanted it so, he, you know, all the great foreign players could play mm-hmm. in the NBA without losing their Olympic yeah. you know, eligibility. So he could sell the TV rights to, you know, countries all around the world and the merchandise and stuff. And uh, that's quite an interesting um, thing I, I, I've not really thought about, you know. Um, I was actually in Barcelona when I was a, as a 16-year-old when the 92 Olympics mm. was on. and Oh, wow. It was everywhere, you know. I didn't yeah. get to, get to the games and but the dream team were everywhere all the shops were full of you know the nba usa merchandise posters and it was it was absolute you know unbelievable how big they they sort of took over the olympics really Um, yeah it was crazy but um it took over more than that like a weird kid in my class who turned up in a (laughs) pair of air force 180s you know what i mean the barkley ones like what What? (laughs) like it took over everything it was crazy interestingly it's it maybe that those Olympics were as responsible as any. It's like a, a synergy between the Olympics, Nike putting so much money into Michael Jordan and him yeah, bleeding yeah. out into other areas of popular culture, along with David Stern's changes to the game, it all sort of fortuitously meshed together at the right time. Yeah, that's like the kind of peak, didn't it? Of kind of yeah, this is I where think, this you is know, going now. You know, I'm, I'm always loath to use to use the phrase a simpler time or a much simpler time. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's. As my as my friend Jancy Dunn, the writer, pointed out, like there's no such thing as a as a simpler time. Yeah. Um, but that really was sort of the last age of innocence for the NBA. I think I think yeah. the, the dream team is when everything kind of like that's when Pandora's box opened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because again, it was it was it was it was such a coordinated marketing business um endeavor it wasn't like oh well they, we, we we got this ragtag bunch of guys together yeah. no like it was all business it, they were building and, up to that point for a few years weren't yeah they? absolutely yeah. and that yeah. was and again like everything you know again the mcdonald's open was part was part of that um you know the 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 nbc uh, the nba's deal with nbc was a kind big of part of that. that time, yeah. Yeah. You know, NBA entertainment kind of ramping up the players with, with, with the videos and these commercials. But at that point, like that's, that is certainly, that is the end of the law. Like that is when it became a big business. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and that, and that, 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 I'm glad you brought up that quote, you know, Dylan with, with um, David Stern, because yeah, that was, that I think separates David Stern from everyone else. Like it was like, yeah, you know, like I'm, this is what we're doing. Like this yeah. is the, all right. It was going, didn't it? He, and the same thing with the MB, with the NBC deal where, you know, his big thing, the biggest to him, the sweetest plum in that deal was the kid show, which is the NBA inside stuff, a show that I grew up on. Um, he, Cause like that was, cause he, he saw it as a way to get the next generation hook yeah. the kids, get their kids, yeah. get their parents to buy them merchandise and, you know, tickets to the game. So, yeah, it, it was David Stern, you know, the night that 92 time, that dream team is when it just, it just was completely, it became a completely different animal. The NBA Michael, was no longer Michael the Jordan lucky team. peak in the early nineties. Yeah. Fell into place. Yeah. Lovely for him, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you think about at that time, like, that time, yeah, Jordan's coming into his own. Bird and Magic are are, reti- are are you know are retired, but you know Jordan's coming into his own. You have this legion of great stars coming out: Barkley, Pippen, Carl um, Malone, John Stockton, Clyde Drexler. They're all kind of entering their their zenith, um, you know, and they're also 
they're also camera ready. You know what I mean? Like the stars of the seventies in the early eighties, they didn't really, they weren't part of that television movement. The, the players, the players in 91, 92, 93, like they're more comfortable with, with, with television. I think mm-hmm. they're more used to being on a bigger screen. So it was just, again, a, a perfect, a perfect storm, but, it, but again, by design, it's a, it was sort of a, it was a, I guess you could say called a man-made storm. And David Stern was sort of the, you know, the man behind the curtain pulling the levers to ensure that, you know, the game would become this, I guess the only, the best way to put it was sort of, would be to, to describe it as this conglomerate, um, this international conglomerate. He was really, really micromanaged that as well as you mentioned in the book about, you know, it'd be on the phone to the head of NBC or whoever's produced the show saying what he liked and he didn't mm-hmm. like about, you know, the show and the presentation. It was he really, really sort of molded it to the way he wanted it to look, didn't he? Yeah. And he was, he was somebody who, with David Stern, no detail was left uncovered. That was the thing about David Stern, that in talking to 300 plus people for this book, including many people that work with him or work for him, I'm sorry, uh, in the NBA, David Stern never stopped. And he, he knew every detail. He knew everything that was going on. He knew every move on the chessboard. So you couldn't out, you couldn't outsmart him. You could you were not going to outwork him, but he knew how to move every chess piece, and he knew what was happening, and he could see five moves ahead. Yeah. That He's was a David Stern. Guy, fascinating. I'm, he sure, is. I'm sure someone's going to write a book on him at some point. Uh, I hope so. Uh, I mean, because he, he, yeah, he really was a fascinating it's, guy. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's, in yeah. many ways, we should be glad he it was the NBA. Imagine if he worked for Philip Morris or something. <laughs> Imagine the world now, if you know. For Exxon Mobil, yeah. Coughing through spots at each other. Yeah. I mean, you're right though. He he had like, the best thing about David Stern is that he had a basketball fan's passion, mm. but he had a business. He had a businessman's eye, and the the commission, the, the presidents and commissioners before him, um, you know, uh, Mars Podoloff, J, um, you know, uh, J. Walter Kennedy, even Larry O'Brien. They didn't have that businessman. They didn't have that businessman's mindset. They didn't have that that cu- sort of cutting, calcu- calculating way about them. David Stern did, and you know he wasn't concerned about you know tradition or about his favorite teams or oh no, it was about look, this is how we're going to do it. This is this is the best. This is the way we're going to reach mass saturation, and I have the game plan, and follow me. But he uh, he's a fascinating dude. Like yeah. he was the kind of guy that like he would just like. He would like ex- he would just excoriate you for something, just like completely like rip out your throat. And then the next the stories day, are legendary, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Temper and stuff. It yeah. reminds me of uh, yeah. what's the what's the Sam Rothstein that character? The, oh, from Casino. From Casino, like how many blueberries yeah. are in each muffin? That <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, like that level that's of a, detail. But th- but you're not the first person to bring that up, and that's exactly right. Like he is somebody who would notice if you're using the wrong game ball in a pro, in a promo. Like he would note. I mean, he the, the funny one of the funny stories in the book is uh, with NBA All Star Game with the NBA All Star Game weekend. He had a phone that was he had a phone that could contact that could put him in touch with Steve Mills, who was an NBA executive, sort of in charge of like running the show. And like every like three minutes, Steve Mills would get a phone call from David Stern, like. <laughs> What, why are we using this music? Why is this ball the way it is? Why, why, why are the lights this way? Like David Stern was just, yeah, David Stern was going to notice if he had 
15 muffins in his blueberry or three. <laughs> and he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to let that rest. Like he was going to make sure that every, every muffin had had the same number of blueberries had an equal amount of blueberries. Okay. Gavin said for years on this podcast that the, the NBA understand, understand turn, it turned into wrestling. Basically it was an entertainment yeah. product, you know, it was more, mm-hmm. more akin to sort of yeah, WWF I mean. than, it's, it's that- than actual sports league. And you can see that. Uh, you know how it's gone and oh, what absolutely. the game's like now to watch is it's an entertainment product isn't it Moments oh it is it is i mean there and it, it's no accident that no. that david that david stern and dick ebersall the president of nbc sports who also was um an executive producer for saturday night live in the 1980s and who is a, was a co-founder of the xfl of vince mcmahon there there, there's yeah. no accident that they're friends. I mean, there are, or, or were friends, I should say. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, with the, you know, frozen envelopes in the drafts. So the, the idea of the idea of sporting purity came second at that point, if you know what I mean, you become. Oh, yeah. from, and that's what I mean by liberating it from tradition. Uh, oh, you're absolutely right. A really good example of that is cricket that like mm-hmm. cricket is the sports most wedded that still sort of exists to tradition. It's the same bats, the same ball, it's the same size, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. dying. So now, yeah. in order to try, they just they don't know what to do. So they're constantly trying to reinvent themselves, change the format. Let's wear yeah. jazzy colors, give ourselves names that sound like American sports teams, which <laughs> in many ways is a testament to David Stern that yeah. every, every sport needs to now almost model itself upon that. Yeah, yeah you have to because look, it, it's very it's. And there's a reason for that because the options for entertainment now are innumerable. Yeah. So, you know, back when you were back when we were kids, you know, there wasn't, you know, we didn't have, there wasn't, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't cell phones, there wasn't, you know, video games that cost, you know, five months mortgage. There, There were, there were very few entertainment options. Now kids have everything. They have so many options available to them to, occupy their time. So sports need to be malleable. You can't be the, you can't package the sport the same way that you did in 1970 or 1980 or even 2000. And, and, and cricket is, I mean, cricket and baseball, I think are blood brothers in that respect because baseball has for years been trying to figure out, Oh, how do we cater to the youth market? How do we get, you know, a more diverse audience? And they're, they're still trying to figure that out because, but, you know, but the problem is that, and the problem is that they're so rooted in, the content of this is how we've always done things. Yeah. And David Stern flat out said, like, I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to hear like, this is how we've always done things. And I think, you know, there's a reason why basketball continues to have this, you know, I think uh, the NBA, I should say, has this remarkable worldwide saturation and baseball just kind of is, you know, dragging in the wind and, and cricket sounds like it's very much in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that more than ever watching the, I don't know if you watched the Olympic basketball this year, I noticed just how much, how different it is to the NBA product as far as sort of, the, you know, the rules and the physicality, whereas, yeah. you know, Damian Lillard just looked lost in some of the games. Like, he's yeah. so used to getting a foul every time he gets yeah. on in the NBA because mm-hmm. that all comes from David Stern. It's a product, you don't, you know. Yeah. It, it's it, an entertainment product. As it is. The FIBA, it is. The FIBA basketball is closer to the actual sport. You know what I mean? And it was really noticeable this year, I think. Yeah. I mean, the other problem with that was just, I mean, I, I honestly don't think they should, they, the, the Olympics should have been held no. for, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, you know, but the, the thing, the problem with that is that you cannot, 
and this is, I mean, look, the, the NBA players are probably still the best in the world or some of the best in the world, especially when you call, when you call the best of the best play uh, in, 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 in the Olympics. But you can't just like fly guys over like two weeks, you know, before the games or a week or that or like the day before whatever it was and expect them to just sort of like automatically like get yeah, used yeah. to not only playing with different teammates, but also different rules. You know, it's it's you know, you have to have some 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 reps to get used to everything to 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 get used to the way the game is played. So. I don't know. It, it's I, I I didn't really watch much of the Olympic basketball this year because again it, it just it just felt it just felt like this very slapdash and I don't know. I, I think I would like to see it, it. Just I don't know the the appeal of basically twelve strangers playing together just doesn't do it for me anymore. The 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 bloom is off the rose. Yeah, no big time. Well, more and more else? you see players from around the NBA being spread around different teams as well. That so is it's neat. Not, it's not like the imperious basketball super gods turn up and batter everybody. No. Like, that, like the dream team was. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, the dream team. You yeah, calling was... it a dream team a while ago. When, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's, I mean, that's something that is, that, that is, see, everyone always sort of, it was interesting to see the reaction on social media when, the U.S. lost to France, I think it was, mm. in the opening rounds. Yeah. People are like, oh, God, like people just sort of like, you know, oh, no, what's – and I feel like saying, like, you know, that's the way it is now. Like, the world is caught up. Like, you know, we, you just can't send 12, 12 of our best players and offend them off the floor with international with international, with international competition. It, it's – the game The game has been, has been in Spain and France and mm. elsewhere for decades now. And, you know, you can't, you can't just say that it's, that they're, they're, that, you know, you can't just say that, oh, well, we, we own the game now. No, it's, and that's the beauty of it. And that's why probably next, in the next three years or four years, I'll watch the Olympics. I want to see how the other teams are, you know, it's, it's, you know, Rudy Gobert's, you know, uh, Fournier, you know, France is a good team. Spain always has a good team, Argentina. So it's, it's that, that makes it fun for me, you know, um, this year I was a little, a little uh, ambivalent toward it because of COVID and also the rush aspect of it. Yeah. Money talks again, doesn't it? You know, yes. So that corrupt <laughs> organization, yes. the IOCs up there. Uh, I, the I was going to say like, you know, yeah. it, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I was, I was going to express shock over what was happening, but I, but if you, <laughs> if you know anything about the history of the IOC and, <laughs> and its leaders over the past, Hundred years, yeah. This is not a surprise. <laughs> like yeah. this is the same organization that openly held uh, a um, uh, an Olympiad in Nazi Germany and had no problem with it. <laughs> so to expect that they're gonna just you know st- you know kind of just throw their hands up and and submit to COVID is a would be very naive. Pete, we've took up far too much of your time, um, but it's uh, it's been great chatting with you. Um, oh, likewise, guys. This is a blast. Yeah. Really yeah, good. no, the, yeah. the book is um is is really interesting. I, I've read a lot of basketball books, mm. but um this re- really is this ca- kind of unique look at sort of oh, behind the, the thinking of uh, yeah, of David Stern and and the executives and how everything sort of was planned out uh, as we've mentioned. So uh, 
Yeah, I'll, uh, I've actually ordered a hard copy, so I'll probably burn through it again when that arrives. Oh, so. well, look, I'm happy. Uh, so, you know, again, send me send me your address, and I'll happily send you a signed book plate. Um, very you know, I'm happy to do that. And um, Gavin, if you if you bought a hard hey, copy, hey. Um, you know, let me know. Oh. Yeah, that's no, I, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that, Dylan. Yeah, I, I wanted to write a, a sports book or a basketball book that was different, and I also wanted to write a book that wouldn't necessarily be for straight up sports fans. So I think if you're a fan of cultural history of business, I think this book kind of scratches, um, a, a scratches you where you itch. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I think few things are more boring than to read a book that is any sport book that is straight up about a sport. Yeah. Like it, it gets very yeah. old, very quick. Trying to just capture f- physical events that you could easily just watch. In, in exactly yeah um so yeah i i i'm 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 touched to hear you say that so thank you no and i'd advise people maybe not of our age to you know definitely go and read it um because we, we kind of take a lot of that stuff for granted that people know um absolutely you know as much as because we, we've been around a lot longer yeah, but, um, yeah. If you want an insight of sort of what the nba was like in the sort of early 90s and stuff if you were it's uh it's definitely the book to read um, no I, I appreciate that no i i, I i'm glad you, i'm glad you said that because i do think Things move so quickly now that it's it's so. I think there's a there's there's a lack of appreciation for what happened before. I think we we're so caught up in the now Absolutely. and what's happening and, and what will happen that we we sort of forget about you know the yeah. the, the men and women who came before us. And yeah. I mean, you see that now with um with Michael Jordan. You know, back when we were growing up, Michael Jordan was a cultural force, and he was somebody who was who was who was an American institution, inter, an international institution. Now, I think a lot of people only know Michael Jordan for his shoes and the fact that he's a bumbling owner uh, of a mediocre um, franch- NBA franchise. So, but it's, it's amazing how, things, how, how, quickly move thing, how quickly things move. And I'm hoping that this book can lock in locks of certain period in for people who may want to learn more about it or may have forgotten about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Nail on the head. Um, fantastic. Well, Again, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future. Uh, oh, I'd love to, gentlemen. And, this um, is great. And, uh, yeah, all the best going forward. Thanks, guys. Great talking. Right. Take care. Thanks, Pete. Enjoy Thank your you. weekend. Cheers. Cheers, buddy.